0: Please take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1, James 1. Now next week, as uh, we mentioned, we begin our missions conference, and uh, I will be preaching next Sunday morning on our theme verse, and that's the verse that, uh, if you've been using the devotional that Pastor Kelly wrote uh you've seen again and again. It's a a great theme from uh, Zephaniah 3. And so we encourage you to keep reading the devotionals and and preparing your heart. But after our conference is over, we will be back in the book of James. And as we do, we will see that, that James is transitioning here at this point. He is about to hit on something. Uh, As I told you, this is a very practical book. He's going to uh, hit on uh, the aspect of this, and that is not just being hearers of the Word, but being doers. You might want to say the, the application of the Word of God. But... Before one can be a doer, they must be a hearer. And that's what we are going to look at today in this passage in James chapter 1. We will begin with the 19th verse. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we ask now that you would enable our minds that are so easily distracted, distracted with things that we have done this past week and things we face later this week, even later today. But help us to focus upon your word so that we will know you better, be enabled to love you more, That's our desire. Give us humble hearts, Lord, as we receive your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get into the passage, uh, I do need to tell you something. And that is that you need to know that I have got a really good view from up here of what goes on in the pew. Now, I've got some pretty bright lights here, but, but I can really see what's taking place, and a, a lot of times it's rather humorous, I must say. <laughs> I have uh, preached some 2,000 times, and I only know that because when I was ordained, I was given... Uh, a book, and I have written down every single sermon, where I preached it, what the text was, and all of that uh, throughout my whole ministry. And I have taught probably three times that many in my ministry. And so through the years, I have had abundant opportunity to see people fall asleep, actually, I have seen uh, people fall asleep with their head going forward till they woke up. And I've seen it with their head going backward and their mouth wide open. I have seen people wake up with a snort. I have seen furious wives trying to keep their husbands awake. And all of this was just last Sunday, basically. (laughs) Actually, I heard uh, D. James Kennedy, when he was here on this earth, an older and wiser pastor say that if you took everyone that fell asleep on a Sunday morning and you laid them end to end they would be much more comfortable. <laughs> now here's the thing. I, I have tried to put it in perspective. I, I look in the Word of God and I see Eutyches, who was listening to the Apostle Paul speak, and he fell asleep and fell to his death. And I've taken some comfort in that, that if... if People can fall asleep listening to the Apostle Paul. Surely that's going to happen. So I don't particularly take offense uh, if it happens uh, once in a while. If it happens every week, you might want to get checked out. But, uh, But here is really my bigger concern as a pastor and as your pastor. And that is those whose hearts are asleep toward the Word of God. Those who have hearts that are not receptive to the Word of God, even though they know the Lord, and yet they find it hard to hear. And so we are going to look at a passage that speaks to that very thing today from James 1 he indicates that there are some things in the lives of believers that can creep in, that can get in the way of receiving the word, and that that's dangerous. So let's take a look at uh, some of those kinds of things and, and how we need to deal with it in terms of, clearing the way in our lives. Now, I have to tell you, in this passage, when I began to study it, it seemed to me that it was backwards because it ends with a focus on the Word of God and it begins with talking about bad behavior. And that's different, really, than most places we see in the Scripture and certainly in the New Testament. Usually it begins with relationship and then leads to behavior. In other words, who we are in Christ, then we deal with behavior. because Certainly we aren't in any way saved by right behavior. It's about relationship with Christ. But then as I continued to study, I, I, a couple of things dawned on me. The first is the audience that he is speaking to. Uh, We already saw that in our introduction to James. He is focusing upon believers. He's not evangelizing here. He's not saying, get your lives together and then you can come to Christ. He is saying, look, you, my brothers, you who are in Christ, there are things in your life that are keeping you from experiencing the abundance of, that God has for you in his word. So he's already, in essence, presuming that they know Christ. They are trusting in Christ alone for their eternal life. And then he's emphasizing that, look, you all have a wrong emphasis in your life. There are priorities that are out of whack here. And it is getting in the way. And we've got to clear them out. So what are those things? Well, look at verse 19. He talks about godly actions toward others and toward God. I see this, you know, on, the, on those two levels. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. There it is. He's addressing those who are Christians. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. And slow to anger. Now, I want to give you a caution here. Because when you hear that, you may be tempted. I give you this caution periodically. But you may be tempted, okay, let's see. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You may be tempted to say, ooh, I'm glad so-and-so is here. She really needs to hear this. Or, I wish so-and-so was here. Because he needs to hear that. Here's the thing. This is for you. And in fact, if after the service, you come to me and you say, was that aimed at me? I'm going to say, of course it was. Because it's aimed at all of us. This is the word of God. And so don't worry about anyone else and how this might apply to them. Ask God, how, Lord, does this apply to me? What do, what do you want to tell me from your word today? And let him convict everyone else where they need to be. It says, quick to hear. Now, in, in those times when James was writing this, it was even probably more important than now. I mean, we need to be able to, to listen. But in that time, they didn't have their Bibles sitting on their laps like you do. They didn't have the Word of God as available, and so they needed to be able to hear and to really uh, focus upon it. Our 17-year-old daughter, Abby, And by the way, whenever I give an illustration from our family, it's only with their permission. (laughs) I don't ever surprise them from the pulpit, and uh, if they say no, then you won't hear that illustration. But when she was a little girl, she sat down by me on the couch, and she had something, I don't even remember what it was, but there was something in her world that was very important that she wanted to tell me. And I was there watching TV, and uh, you know I'm I'm so able to listen while I'm watching TV, as most men are. <laughs> and so I was listening, and she began, "Daddy, and whatever she wanted to tell me," and she had hardly said anything before she grabbed me right here and turned my head towards hers, and she said, I need your face. (laughs) Now, I got the message. She needed my undivided attention. She deserved it. And that's what this is talking about in terms of listening, being quick to hear. Quick to hear one another. Quick to hear... God, slow to speak, seldom does anyone have to repent of silence. Did you ever think of that? Uh, Unless it's cowardly silence or guilty silence. But more often than not, it's about things we say, things we blurt out. Now James is going to get into that in some depth later in James. We'll get into it probably later this spring where he talks about the dangers of the tongue and words and and all of that kind of thing. But, But here he introduces this biblical theme. A theme where the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. We're in talking about Mary It said she took all these things in and pondered them in her heart. Where in the Old Testament, in Proverbs, it says in Proverbs 10, verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent, being slow to speak. And so often, we're all about speaking. Not just to one another, but to God, too. Not even giving him time to talk, because we're so busy telling him the way it ought to be. And then slow to anger. There's a, there's a clear connection between speech and anger. You know, so often, the more you talk, the angrier you get. And and so on. And and he brings that out here. And he goes on to talk about what anger does in our lives. Look at verse 20. Um, it says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Man cannot earn righteousness in his depravity. Now, what he's, what he's doing here with this verse is he is showing how out of place anger is for the believer. And he's contrasting two things that are about as opposite as you can imagine. The righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ, versus our anger. And he's basically saying, look, you're hanging on to your anger as if it earned you something, some kind of a standing before God. And it doesn't. Because there is no work that earns us anything before God. It's by grace you're saved. Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's by grace you're saved. Through faith. Not by works lest any man should boast. It's a gift from God. So it's not about our good works that we give him and it's certainly not about our bad works that we give to him. Nothing in my hands I bring. Only to the cross I cling. It's all about his works. And he shows in in that one little phrase How inappropriate, if we claim to be believers in Christ, it is to harbor anger in our hearts. And then he talks about putting away of ungodly activity. Verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. You've been watching uh, the Olympics Depending on the sport, uh, and of course in the Winter Olympics, it seems like they put on these heavy clothes sometimes, but often before a race, you see this a lot more in the Summer Olympics, before a race, you'll see them taking off that outer garment and putting it off to the side. That's the word here. It's like over in Hebrews 12, verse 1, where it says, Let us lay aside every weight, it's the same phrase, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, uh, James is saying, and the author of Hebrews is saying, using the same kind of phraseology that when when we deal with with sin, we've got to put it off. Now, it's not just a surface-y thing. it's, It's not like, just dealing with uh, the outward appearance of something, you know, just suppressing it, just getting it out of the way and trying to forget about it. it, it imagine if you had some kind of an illness where you had a, an internal tumor and it was, it was poking out somewhere. You can't just press it down so that you can't see it anymore and think that that's okay. Okay. What do you do? Well, you've got to do surgery, you've got to go deep, and you've got to get it all. And that's what he's saying here, that putting away is what we call repentance. Remember what we read earlier about repentance unto life? Now, in our shorter catechism, I think that's talking about the original repentance when we come to Christ, but we are also to live a life of repentance, and that's not inappropriate to use that same kind of definition. Remember the wording, it, it says uh, that where a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin. So we, we, we finally see our sin, and, and here it is, and we look at it, and we hate it and we grieve over it but you don't just stop there with grief and hatred of our sin turn from it so we you know we literally turn our back on the sin but if you don't turn to something then there'll be more sin around the corner turn from it to God with f- full purpose of a new obedience so when you turn from that, it's turning to God. You see, it's, it's filling up that which you have put away, that gap there. Let's look at the filling, the cleared way. Once we've dealt with sin and put it away, there's, there's figuratively a, a hole or a, a gap uh, there. There's a cleared area. It's like a field. If you clear a field and you you get rid of the the brush and the little trees and the weeds and so on, if you just stand there and wait long enough, well, the brush and trees and weeds will be back, and they'll be back maybe even more so. You've got to put something in its place to take over. And that's how it is with our lives. If all we do is is get rid of sin and just leave a, a big gap there, We'll fill it up with something else. And it will be just as bad if we don't fill it with the things of God. Now look at what James says we are to fill it with. Again, verse 21. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Look at the attitude first of all. And receive with meekness. Receiving with meekness. That's, that's humility. It's a teachable spirit. It's saying, I've got a gap here. I need something and I want something. So with humility, I'm going to seek it. And what is it? It's the Word. The Word of God. Put a, again, verse 21. Receive with meekness the implanted Word. Now, the word receive there was associated with uh, generous hospitality, especially in the New Testament. It was like happily inviting someone into your home for hospitality. You would have used that same word. And that's what he's saying with the word of God. We've got this gap. We receive the sacred word of God into us. Uh, Let me, for a moment, whine a little bit, if I may. Um, I want to tell you what preachers, some preachers face in our day. One thing we face is what I would call picky eaters. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, I think we can fall into an overindulgence In any given week, you can, and some of you do, listen to the best preachers, communicators in the whole world. You can do it on podcasts, you can do it on the internet, you can read their books. That's not necessarily a a bad thing, obviously. But let me me explain to you, let me give you a, a contrast. I see a lot of people after they've had surgery and if, uh, let's say they've had a surgery and they haven't been able to eat for several days and then they get the liquid diet and then they start getting hungry and then they get the first little bit of solid food, soft diet and then some solid food. I have heard this, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a dozen times. I have heard people say, oh, that jello tasted like steak. <laughs> now, it, it didn't really taste like steak. I could tell that. But to them, because they missed it and they were hungry, and, and anything that they would begin to chew, they appreciated because they didn't, they didn't have it. Now, Put that on one shelf, and then on the other shelf, think about 30 minutes after Thanksgiving dinner. You know how you feel? You're sitting there, so full, a little embarrassed, (laughs) you know. And you're sitting there, and, and you know what we all say? Oh, I'll never eat again. And we don't for a couple hours, and so... But what would happen if right when you're feeling like that, somebody came by and they pushed a tray and there was a big piece of beautiful prime rib and, you know, a beautiful meal, you would just go, oh, no, really. it, It would not look good at all to you. That's how I think some of us have gotten. Now, I'm not saying that you got to quit listening to other things just so you'll appreciate me. That's not what I'm saying. But as you listen to these other things, let it digest. Don't just keep listening and just keep piling it in until you feel like you do after a Thanksgiving dinner because you begin, I think, to not get the nourishment of it if you're not careful. I'm not saying starve yourself either. But let it digest. Let it nourish you. Think about it. Ponder it. The Bible says meditate upon it. And in all that, ask Him for you not to lose your hunger. And then I think some of us take Take it for granted. Most of you have grown up with uh, Bibles in your home. Not all of you, but many of you have. Many of you have grown up with numerous Bibles. If you've been in this church, you have access to uh, teaching from this pulpit and teaching in uh, Sunday school classes and teaching in K groups and teaching in women's and men's Bible studies all focused upon the Bible. And that's wonderful. That's the way it ought to be. But we can take it for granted. At our last inquirer's class, I was reminded that it's not like that everywhere. We always ask the question, what brought you to St. Andrew's and what made you stay? We heard the testimony, well, what made us stay was we enjoyed the worship service and the music and everything, and then when you got up to preach, you said, open your Bible to, and then gave the text. And the testimony was, in the church I'd been attending, I hadn't heard that in a long time. how grateful we ought to be for the opportunities. You see, I'm I'm not just whining as a preacher. But if we can ask God to give us an appetite, a taste for, a genuine hunger for the Word of God so that we can receive His spiritual food in a manner that will allow the Word to be implanted in us, that's when we are Enjoying God in the fullest. And verse 21 then talks about the result and the reason why we need that. The last phrase, after receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, how does receiving the word save our souls? Isn't it trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life? Isn't that what saves our souls? Well, of course it is. Where do you find out about trusting in Christ alone? Where do you find out about the person of Christ? About His righteousness? About what He did on the cross? About His sacrificial, substitutionary death for us? About Him being put in the grave and raised from the dead and ascending into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Where do we find out about that? Only in the sacred word of God. That's how it saves our souls. Okay, so you get on an airplane. Most people are sitting there Chatting with the person next to him when the flight attendant gets up and begins to give her talk. I do that. I either read or I'm sitting. Except for the people, it's their first time on. You know, the ones first time on, they're they're listening to her and saying, "Okay, where's that card? And where's the cushion? Okay, how come she said it's flotation? We're not flying over water. You know, I don't. Anyway." but most people are paying no attention. But suppose then you get up to cruising level, and somebody on the other side says, well, look at that, our engine just went out. And you, you begin to feel it. And the flight attendant gets up, and she goes to that very same microphone, and she begins to give emergency instructions. All the books close up and everybody is hanging on every single word. I would be doing that. Okay, there's the mask. Okay, there's my flotation divine? You know, all of those things. Why? Because it's life or death. That's what the Word of God is for us. May God give us And understanding that when God speaks, it's about saving our souls. What a gracious gift he has given to us. May he give us ears to hear and hearts desiring to respond to his sacred word. Let's bow together.